0: Morning. All right, good to see you guys. Good to see ya. If you are new, welcome. My name's Obed, and I'm one of the pastors here at King's Cross Church. And it's a joy to gather with you guys. It really is, man. Um, We have been on a six month voyage in the book of Ecclesiastes. Yeah, someone was excited about that. I'm glad. (laughs) And this Sunday, um, we will be concluding our exposition of the book of Ecclesiastes. And what I mean by that is, yeah, this is the last Sunday where we're going to kind of go through, finish the last um, few verses of Ecclesiastes. But um, next week, we're going to have kind of... um, You know, a conclusion, proper conclusion, and we're going to have several people from our church share reflections on our six-month exposition, exploration of um, Ecclesiastes. And so, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, um, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, chapter 12, and we're going to be reading from verses 8 through to the end, verse 14. And as we do, um, one of the ways we want to honor God's word um, is by standing um, for the reading of it. And so if you could please stand for the reading of God's word. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 8 through to 14 reads, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings they are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study is weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Let's pray. God... I pray that you would speak through me. That everyone here this morning would hear from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. This section of Ecclesiastes we just read begins with a sentence uh, most of you should be familiar with. Verse 8 says, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. This verse is a repeat of the opening verse of this book, and it's the thesis statement of the book of Ecclesiastes. Therefore, what this means is that Ecclesiastes begins to conclude in the same way it started. The Hebrew word translated vanity is hevel. We all know this. Hevel means smoke or vapor, um, just like the smoke, um, the puff of smoke from a cigarette or the mist that fills Um, your bathroom after a long, warm shower. And so, according to Ecclesiastes, life which is described as a mist, a vapor, or a puff of smoke um, is fleeting and futile. Life is fleeting because we're here today and gone tomorrow. The older I get, the more I keep saying the following words time flies. I've been saying it a lot recently. It so feels like we're born, we live, and then we die. This process happens quickly. Blink, and you're old and frail, and living your last few years on earth. This week, um, I love living in San Diego. I really do. It's such an awesome city, and I'm sure most of you would agree. And so this week, I... Um, did most of my studying of this passage at a really cool spot, all right, Um, near our church office. It's, um, I'm not really like a beach ocean guy. I'm not, but I'm becoming that. But there's this spot where there's a bench and as you sit, when you're sitting on the bench, you can just like see the ocean, Um, It's fantastic, and I was there on Friday, and I'm thinking through this verse, and, you know, the waves were just crazy on Friday, and as I'm sitting, uh, most of the time, people come by and ask me what I'm doing, because they see books and my notepads everywhere, and an older couple came. Um, They were so sweet. They were like, what are you doing, young man? Um, (laughs) And I said, I'm I'm a pastor of a church, and I'm studying for my sermon. And they were like, oh, that's nice. And I said, who are you? What are you doing here? Um, (laughs) I could tell they weren't from here. Um, They were from Montana, and they were here um, on vacation. And they were here to meet all of their kids so that they can celebrate their 50th year anniversary. Um, It was so cool to see that. And um, I I told them after they had told me it's 50 years and we're going to be celebrating, I was like, I just celebrated 14 years of marriage, you know? And as they walked off, I thought to myself, man, I know for sure it's not going to be long until, God willing, Eleanor and I are saying to her, young couple, that it's our 50th year anniversary. Time flies, doesn't it? And so the purpose of the book of Ecclesiastes is to help us see just how fleeting life is. Hevel doesn't only refer to smoke or vapor that appears then quickly disappears. It also refers to the impossibility of trying to grab hold of smoke. All right? One of the most ridiculous things you can do is to try and gather smoke. It's really impossible, isn't it? And so by saying all is vanity, the preacher is not just helping us see how short and fleeting life is, but he's also helping us see just how futile life is. It's, um, there's kind of no substance to it. It's kind of meaningless because of this, whenever we try to gain control of our lives by what we can understand or what we can do, we soon discover that the control we try to gain always escapes us, just like how smoke escapes our grip. Um, Tim McKee of the Bible Project has this to say. He says, there's so much beauty and goodness in the world But just when you're enjoying it, tragedy strikes, and it all seems to blow away. And I'm sure in a room of this size, many of you know what it's like for life to suddenly take a turn for the worst. Life is futile. Life is fleeting. And so the author, who's known as the preacher, what he's been doing ever since the beginning of Ecclesiastes is doing his best to prove to us that life under the sun, that is life here on earth, is meaningless. But the interesting thing is that all is vanity Doesn't get the last word in Ecclesiastes. Verse 8, I think, could have been a suitable and legitimate way to conclude the book, all right? He could have just like waxed eloquent from chapter 1, gets to chapter 12, says, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity, drops the mic, ends the book, walks off, that is it. That could have been fine. But instead, the book of Ecclesiastes closes with an epilogue that helps us put the entire book into perspective. And I think, right, as we look at this epilogue, it's basically a summary of what this book is all about and what this book is trying to really communicate to each and every one of us. And so the epilogue is found in verses 9 to 14. We just read it. And one of the interesting things about this epilogue, wait for this, it's really interesting, is that many Bible experts believe that it was actually written by someone else. It's likely, right, that verse 8 is the final sentence from the preacher, okay, who's been doing most of the talking until now, right? But when we get to verse 9, there's a shift, right? Someone else starts to speak, and they speak about the preacher in the third person. Someone else chimes in, And offers their own perspective of life, right? You've seen it. It's so obvious. He he begins to talk about, you know, besides being wise, the preacher also taught, right? That's verse 9, verse 10, the preacher. So this particular individual, we don't know who it is, is offering his own perspective on this whole book. And so this morning, what we're going to do is spend the bulk of our time... Looking closely at the epilogue, that is a conclusion to the book of Ecclesiastes. Before we do, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been mistaken for someone else? Have you ever been accused of being someone that you're not? That's happened to me a bunch of times. I can't tell you how many people come up to me and think I'm someone else but then when they hear my accent, they're like, oh, that's not you. It's crazy. I was at Fashion Valley, I think two months ago, and I'm just walking mind. I think it was December. I was returning some clothes. I return a lot of clothes. I buy and I return. I've got an issue with that. And then, like, I'm walking, and then someone, some random guy comes up to me and starts calling me. I think it was Matthew. He was like, hey, Matthew, how are you doing? And I had my mask on, so I decided to take down my mask to just make sure he's not mistaking me. I take down my mask, and he still thinks I'm Matthew. <laughs> Crazy. And I'm like, who is this guy? And I'm like, I'm not this person, right? I'm someone else. And so I have been mistaken for someone that I am not. And I'm sure you've experienced the same thing. And so as we look at this, as we look at Ecclesiastes, the conclusion of it, what we're going to discover is that I think from chapter one, as we've been looking at Ecclesiastes, and for so many people that read and study Ecclesiastes, it it feels like it's this book Right? That is the musings of a skeptic, grumpy old man or something like that. Right, And so the book of Ecclesiastes doesn't have the best of first impressions, but what this summary, what this epilogue is going to do, what this conclusion is going to do is help us that Ecclesiastes is more than just some wise sayings um, some memorable words um, or, some, or, some, or some musings of a skeptic, but we're going to discover that Ecclesiastes is actually a book that was written by God in order to make much of Jesus. You're going to see it in the summary, in the conclusion. All right, you guys Ready? Okay, if you're making notes, first of all, Ecclesiastes is the word of the living God. Ecclesiastes is the word of the living God. Look at verse 9. It says, Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. And so the author of Ecclesiastes was considered wise, and he didn't keep all of his wisdom to himself. But it says in verse 9 that he taught the people knowledge weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. In other words, the preacher researched extensively thought deeply about what he was going to write, and he strategically organized the content in the book of Ecclesiastes. And so what does this tell us? That Ecclesiastes isn't a book of random musings of a skeptical philosopher, but it's a work of literature that has been carefully and wisely organized. And so, after spending, right, six months studying it together, I know that most of you would agree, all right? There are parts. It kind of goes all over the place. But if you really take a look at Ecclesiastes, there's intentionality um, in every chapter, every verse, every sentence. There is a purpose. And the reason why a sentence follows a sentence is because the preacher, the author, was intentional in constructing it. Ecclesiastes isn't just written with this logical clarity. It's also written with literary artistry. Look at verse 10. It says, The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. All right, verse 10 is telling us first and foremost that the preacher sought to find words of delight. This pr- this phrase expresses this literary artistry of the book. In other words, the preacher worked hard to communicate truth in the most compelling way. That's why there's this famous American novelist called Tom Wolfe, and he described Ecclesiastes in this way. He said, Ecclesiastes is the highest flower of poetry, eloquence, and truth, the greatest single piece of writing I have known. Ecclesiastes isn't just written with logical clarity and literary artistry. It's also written with intellectual integrity. Look at verse 10 again. Remember, it says, The preacher sought to find words of delight. And what does he say after that? And uprightly he wrote words of truth. The preacher worked hard, to find the most delightful words to communicate words of truth, words of truth um, uprightly, with integrity. This means that the content in Ecclesiastes isn't based on personal or popular opinion, but it's truth. The content of Ecclesiastes isn't what the preacher thinks is true, but what he knows to be true. And what's interesting about the term words of truth is that it doesn't just describe the content of Ecclesiastes, but it's also a description of the entire Bible. Listen to this, guys. Your copy of the Bible, okay? Whether you have a physical copy, right? Or you access the Bible through an app on your phone. Your copy of your Bible, um, every book and chapter and verse in the Bible can be viewed as words of truth. This means the Bible is the only book available to humanity that contains timeless, trusted, authoritative truth about God and about life here on earth. There's no other book like the Bible. You could say that the Bible is the actual inspired word and literature of God. There is no other book like the Bible. There's this incredible description of the Bible I came across. The author is unknown, but it's awesome. And I'm going to read it to you. All right, I'm going to read it to you, and I want you to do your best to listen, right? The title is simply the Bible, and it reads, This book contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, Its histories are true and its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, and practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's character. Here paradise is restored, heaven opened and the gates of hell disclosed. Christ, it's his grand object. Our good is its design and the glory of God its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently and prayerfully. It is given you in life and will be opened in the judgment and will be remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility, will reward the greatest labor and will condemn all who trifle with its sacred contents the Bible was extraordinary and as I was studying this I was so convicted by my lack of respect for scripture we are spoilt, man We have unlimited access to the Bible, and as a result, we kind of don't view and value it as much as we should. But there's no book like the Bible. It's the word of truth, and it's the only book that accurately um, describes who God is and what he's done and who we are and how we can be saved. It's incredible. So, my question is Is this how you view the Bible? Is this how you view the Bible? Is it to you words of truth or is it to you something else? So, we've seen Ecclesiastes is the word of the living God. Next, Ecclesiastes reminds us to prioritize the Bible. Ecclesiastes reminds us to prioritize the Bible. Look at verse 11. It says, The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. The words of the preacher who's considered wise are compared to goads and nails that are firmly fixed. In the ancient world, a goad was a tool, it's like a stick with a pointed edge, that was used by shepherds to keep animals on a straight path. The goad was designed to, um, to, 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 to inflict just enough pain to get the animal going in the right direction. And so I don't think any of you guys use goads. Right? Who uses a goad here? Put your hands up. Exactly. No one. Okay? But I think there are modern-day versions. I think the, um, the obedience collar collar of a, of a dog for dogs. Right? I know a friend who has a dog, and there's these buttons she pushes, and the, it's a collar, and the dog does what It's like, we, you know, we don't have goats, but we have modern versions of it. And so think about it that way. The words of the preacher are also compared to nails firmly fixed. Some people interpret the term nails firmly fixed as a prophecy about the crucifixion of Christ. I disagree. I don't think it's prophetic, but I think it's an image that describes the kind of impact the truths found in Ecclesiastes makes on a person. Okay? And the impact it makes is lasting. In other words, once a a wise saying is hammered into our minds and hearts, it stays just like when a nail is hammered into a piece of wood. The wisdom found in Ecclesiastes is so memorable. Once we hear them, we never forget them. And so as a church, we've spent six months studying and thinking and pondering and discussing Ecclesiastes, and I know for sure all that we have discovered and exposed ourselves to will stay with us for the rest of our lives. We're not only told what the words of the wise are like, but we're also told where they come from. Look at verse 11 again. It says, the words of the wise are like goods and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. I'm using the ESV version of the Bible. Okay, that's the translation I'm using. And if you're using the same version... I want you to notice something peculiar about the word shepherd. The word shepherd is capitalized. Also, this is the first time the word shepherd has appeared in Ecclesiastes. And something really interesting about the word shepherd is that It's one of the noble titles used for God in the Old Testament. For example, in Psalm 23 and Psalm 80, refer to God as a shepherd. Therefore, this must mean the one shepherd mentioned here in verse 11, at the end of verse 11, is the one and only shepherd, the one true God of the Bible. This means Ecclesiastes is not the wise sayings of an ancient sage, but Ecclesiastes, as we've learned, is the very word of the living God. This means that for the six months we've been spending looking at Ecclesiastes, we've exposed ourselves to the very words of God. And I know I'm repeating myself, but this is important. Philip Rikens says, The preacher's words are not merely the musings of some skeptical philosopher. They are part of the inspired, infallible, and inerrant revelation of Almighty God. And so to read Ecclesiastes is to hear the voice of our shepherd. To read Ecclesiastes is to listen and apply the wisdom and instruction of the creator and sustainer of the universe. In the Old Testament, the shepherd is identified as God, God, and in the New Testament, the shepherd comes into clearer focus, and we see that he is Jesus. The words of the wise given by the shepherd refer to the word of God, and what Jesus said and taught is the word of God of God that's why verse 12 look at verse 12 says this my son beware of anything beyond these of making many books there is no end and much study is a weariness of the flesh Okay, today in our modern world, more than a million new books are published each year. The writing and releasing of books is something that will never stop. There's always a new book that is um, trying to give a different angle of, a, of an idea, of an existing idea. And there's always a new book that brings a new idea. I love to read But one of the frustrating things about my love for reading is that I just always feel like I never have enough time to read all the books I want to read. It's so annoying. I have a Kindle account and I just, I have books I want to read and I just can't read them all. Our digital age has given us unlimited access to content, not just in books, but through blog posts, articles, academic papers, tweets, emails, you know it, podcasts. And trying to keep up with all this content can be overwhelming. And so we must agree with Ecclesiastes when it says of making many books, there is no end and much study is a weariness of the flesh. we must also take to heart the caution at the beginning of verse 12. Look at it. It says, beware of anything beyond these. The word these in verse 12 refers to the words of the wise in verse 11, which in context, all right, is God's word. Therefore, what's happening here is that we're being warned to beware of anything beyond God's word. Let's be clear. This is not a warning discouraging us from reading anything but our Bibles. There are lots of secular and Christian books out there that can help us grow. There are. I read books about managing money, fitness, how to love and train dogs, how to swim, whatever. I read books on anything, and blog posts, whatever, I do. And so what's the point of this? It's telling us to beware Of anything outside of God's word. And so what's the point? Why are we being warned to beware of anything beyond God's word? The point is we should make every effort to not let any earthly books rob us of the Bible's wisdom. The goal for us is to avoid being so consumed with other books, we end up neglecting God's Word. There's a place for all sorts of books, right? Novels, books on Christian living, place for all types of contents, podcasts, you have it. But none of these. Should replace the primacy of the Bible in your life. One of the most frustrating things about being a Christian for me is number one, we've looked at it, my lack of respect for God's word. All right, I'm a preacher. So you would think, I should love God, and I do, but I get so frustrated with myself for not spending enough time reading and digging and studying God's word. I spend too much time on other information and not enough time reading God's word. Charles Spurgeon said this visit many good books, but live in the Bible. And that is the call. And that is the exhortation for us all. And so are you neglecting God's word? How much time are you spending learning about everything else? Like, just calculate your time. Gosh, may we become a community that is consumed with reading scripture. And not so that we can pat ourselves on the back and and feel good about ourselves, but we want to be so obsessed with Scripture because we are so consumed with knowing God. That's the point of Scripture. It points to who God is, what He's done for us, and how we should live in light of that. And so, King's Cross Church, let's be a people, let's be a church family, let's be a community that devours Scripture to the point where we can't get enough of it, to the point where we're trying to steal away time so that we can read the Bible. I get frustrated every time I think about this and I think about my relationship with Netflix, right? I find a show I love, okay? I find a show I love, and what happens when the first episode is over? Oh, I want to watch the next episode and watch the next, and I can't, you know, and I keep watching it, and I just binge, And one of my prayers often is that, God, I would relate to your scriptures like that. That I would read one verse and go, I can't get enough of this. Read a chapter, want to read another one. We would just binge on God's word. There's no book like the Bible. And it should be the most valuable book in all of our lives. It really should. And if it was, we would be dramatically changed. A lot of the issues you're going through would probably be solved if you, if you dived deep in Scripture and remained and marinated and saturated yourself with Scripture you would probably not be struggling with the things you're struggling with. Gosh, we look at our week and say, man, we're reading more scripture than anything else. How about that? It's not religious. It's not like, oh, we're being religious and fair. No, we're not. We are reading because we want to know the mind of God and what he calls us to. We are reading because scripture is alive and it absolutely shapes and changes us every time we're exposed to it. And so we've seen Ecclesiastes is the word of the living God. Ecclesiastes reminds us of the priority to prioritize the Bible lastly ecclesiastes makes much of jesus look at verse 13 the end of the matter all has been heard fear god and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man ecclesiastes ends with what we've been talking about since the beginning that a life lived apart from God is the only thing that is meaningless, but a life lived with God in obedience to God has meaning. First, we're to respond by fearing God and obeying his commandments. Why? Why? Look at it. It says, for this is the whole duty of man. To fear God is to honor and revere him and worship him as God. In other words, we're to fear God and keep his commandments because this is what life is all about. It's the whole duty of man. And so who or what are you living for? This is reminding us that our whole purpose for living is to love and worship God and live for him in light of who he is. Second, we're to fear God and obey him now because one day everything we've said and then will be judged by him. Look at verse 14. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. (laughs) Did you just, like, read that? One day, your life here on earth will be judged by God, your creator. And we look at like judgment day and stuff, you know, and we're like, "Mm, judgment day, is it really true? Some horrible movies out there that have just ruined it. You know, they've done their best to depict what judgment day would like and in doing that, it's become more harmful than good. But the truth is, God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. A day of reckoning is coming, says Daniel Aiken. He goes on to say, it will be comprehensive and detailed in scope. Every thought and every action will be exposed to the searchlight of God's judgment. Not one thing will escape. Not one person will escape. What are your thoughts? How are you feeling now? This is one of the truths in scripture that should motivate all of us to live a life of obedience to God because the truth is whatever you're up to now someone knows and someone sees it and that person is God Okay, don't worry about getting caught by other people be more concerned that God your creator and the God of the universe sees whatever you're up to now and one day he will judge you based on those things. And when we think about the future judgment to come, there are two responses here. If you're not a Christian, you might think, oh, I don't believe this. This is all this thing about Christianity and Christians are using this whole judgment to scare people. I don't believe it. Judgment day, whatever. Also, if you're not a Christian and you believe that there will be a day of reckoning, you are probably fearful, and you should be. But if you are a Christian, the day of judgment shouldn't be a day you fear, because when you stand before Jesus on that judgment day, you'll be looking in the eyes of your Savior, not your judge. And the reason why is that you have dedicated and trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And when you did his righteousness, you were clothed with his righteousness. And as a result... You should look forward to eternity where you will be judged because what's going to happen is that Jesus is going to look at you and you are going to recognize that you are a sinner, but you are going to look to your Savior and say, Savior, have mercy on me and he's going to have mercy on you and he's going to look at you with eyes of love and acceptance because you accepted him and trusted him entrusted your life to him. Ecclesiastes ends with a warning about judgment day. And the reason it ends in this way is to make much of Jesus. If it's true that God will judge everyone and everything, then it's important for us to make sure that we are found righteous on that day. And the only way to be sure we are righteous on that day is to entrust our lives to Jesus Christ now, who alone has the power to save us from the wrath of God. One of the most obvious and the most consistent things about Ecclesiastes is that it just continues to magnify who Jesus is. And if you haven't experienced this, I pray and I hope you do. There is no one more satisfying than Jesus there is no one more worthy of your life and your worship than Jesus. We've arrived at this odd passage at the end about Judgment Day, but when we think about Judgment Day, we have to think about Jesus, right? Throughout Ecclesi- over and over again, whatever comes up points us to Jesus. We think about the, 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 the futility of life and how life is fleeting, and we... Think about Jesus because it's because of him that we can look forward to um, a future life and eternity with him, a place and a time and an existence where there is no pain or suffering. Ecclesiastes, like every book of the Bible, makes much of Jesus because it's all about Jesus. Jesus. And so, King's Cross Church, may we be a community that is obsessed with Jesus, not just because we say it, but I, I just pray, pray every day that you become obsessed with Jesus, that Jesus would be everything. The tragedy for some of you is that you will hear this week in, week out, and it will remain in the intellect of your mind and not transition to your hearts in order to transform and change how you live. And so we're going to transition into a time of worship and prayer as you sing and as you pray, cry out that God would help you Love and respect his word, that God would help you prioritize the Bible in your life, and that Jesus would become your treasure and the one you most value above everything and everyone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may you bring about your purposes in all of our lives. May you continue to exalt Jesus in all of our lives. God, work powerfully now. May your spirit continue to do what I can never do. And that is to bring about comfort where there is difficulty. Bring about clarity where there is confusion. And exalt and magnify Jesus in our lives in a way that we would treasure him. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And in his name we pray, amen.